the actual space to actually grapple well and thoroughly with the problems and questions and challenges of being a person of faith um, are able to, to kind of walk themselves through the darkness and the valley onto the next place. It's the people who are so afraid of asking those questions that end up out the door. Or who've grown up in environments where, say, asking those questions are wrong, is wrong. Because they go, oh, if I can't ask questions, then I can't stay. I think there's something very devout and faithful and beautiful about wrestling with your faith. And I think we should, in every possible way, normalize it. Hi, friends. It's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, mental health, and wellness, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from your clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. Okay guys, real talk here for a moment. I am having the full realization, it is sinking in, that I am going to be mom to a teenage boy this year. That's right, my son Austin is gonna be 13 years old as of December and I'm gonna have a teenager on my hand, which is wild to think about, but it's where we are. We are embracing it. We are embracing and enjoying the growth along the way. However, one of the things that I am most concerned about is really protecting his mental health as he's navigating the online world. Now, my son doesn't have social media as of right now or anything like that, but he likes to go online to look at videos about some of his interests, like mostly gaming and just learning new things, learning new skills. And so I don't want to take the joy of learning away from him or his interests, but I do still want to be protective of what he's watching. It's been found that 62% of kids aged 11 to 13 who saw pornography online saw it unintentionally. We know that this happens, but there are ways that we can be preventative. So I was really excited to find out about this app called Canopy. Canopy is a parental control app that uses artificial intelligence to block porn in real time and also allows us parents to choose what apps and websites our kids use and even tracks device location. But what I do like about it is that unlike most internet filters, Canopy doesn't overblock safe content, so he can still enjoy some of the fun and beneficial things he is learning online. So that can give us as parents peace of mind and it only takes about 15 minutes to set up so it's super efficient and super quick. I love that Canopy is not only amazing technology doing some incredibly meaningful work, but they're also a community of like-minded parents who want to create a better future for those we love most. I just love how they're protecting and strengthening families. So you can check it out. It's free to sign up for their 30-day trial by going to canopy.us. Join me, check it out, download the Canopy app. You can find the link to download in the show notes and let me know what you think. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com. 
Hi friend, welcome back to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you're spending your time here with us today. You know, I appreciate the nuance and unfolding of today's conversation I got to have with our friend Shauna Nyquist. We're talking all about the process of navigating and evolving faith, how we walk through the shifts and losses in our faith perspectives when it comes to the things that we've unlearned and relearned to live in authentic, whole, and maturing faith. It's also about being a beginner again, about starting over and embracing change, about taking off the expert identity and not being afraid to ask for help. You know, Shauna has been open about this in her recent book, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet, where she shares how she learned to keep going and find healing in the face of major life transitions, chronic health issues, and a global pandemic. For those who aren't familiar, Shauna Nyquist is the New York Times bestselling author of Cold Tangerines, Bittersweet Bread and Wine, Savor, Present Over Perfect, and her latest book, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet. She's married to Aaron, and they live in New York City with their sons, Henry and Mac. Shauna is a bookworm, a storyteller, and a passionate gatherer of people, especially around the table. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Shauna. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. Super excited for today's conversation as we're specifically diving into navigating and evolving faith, really talking about how we walk through shifts and losses in our life, in uh, faith perspectives, and what to keep, what to leave behind. And I'm super excited because we have Shauna Nyquist here with us today. And this is something that she's really expounded upon in her latest book, I guess. So I thought this would be to have. Uh, but just kicking off, Shauna, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you. It is a sunny, beautiful day in New York. And uh, you feel like a just tiny little bit of spring. And that is making all the difference. This is a great time of year. Yeah, spring. So you get nice weather all the time. (laughs) We do. We don't really have seasons, which is kind of like, eh, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Oh, I take it. I think think you've made a good choice. I love California. (laughs) See, I want to come to New York. And I know that you, this was, going to New York was a recent transition for you. And it's kind of a part of your story. And so for those who aren't familiar with you or, you know, the work that you've been doing over the years. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what has inspired the writing and the work that you're doing today and specifically with your latest book? I guess I haven't learned that yet. So I'm a, I've I've been a writer for um, 15 or so years and I'm a writer because I'm a reader. I'm a total bookworm. I love books. I love what they can do in us. I love how they can, um, in the seasons of my life when I felt the most confused or alone or isolated or caught between sort of two ways of living, it's been authors and their words in their books that have sort of walked me through those passages. And so that's why I wanted to become a writer because I wanted to kind of give back to that community that had given me so much. Um, and so I, 
I love being a writer and I love walking through life sort of as a noticer and as a person who's paying attention to the little changes in our life and trying to find language for them. Um, I have lived most of my life in the Midwest. I grew up outside Chicago, lived in Michigan for a long time, moved back to Chicago. And then three years ago, my husband, Aaron, and I and our two sons, Henry and William, um, I say William, his name is William. He usually goes by Mac, but he has recently made the switch to William. So I'm trying to honor that. It's still a little bit hard. Honor that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been been like 10 years of Mac, but I'm getting used to it. Um, We moved to New York City three years ago um, for a whole bunch of different reasons, um, but largely because I would say two reasons. Um, My husband really wanted an adventure. He wanted a change. He wanted to live a totally new way. And I wasn't sure that I did. Um, But the other thing that happened is there were a lot of endings in our life outside Chicago. Um, Our relationship to our church ended. Some fundamental relationships ended. it, It was like some seasons had run their course, and I was the last one to know. Um, But looking back on it, I was trying to preserve a lot of things that had already passed their prime. Um, Some people always leave early and some people stay late and I'm like a stay late person. Right, (laughs) Um, right, But this move has been a really life-giving, challenging, energizing uh, move for our family. We've really learned a lot from it. Mm, I love that. Labeling your transition a number of people who are experiencing that at least that I've heard in getting messages even from listeners here where you know their faith is evolving or maybe even their views on faith are evolving especially in the context of mental health and having that shift has in their life whether it is changing their church home or changing their community or just having to kind of let go of I don't know, older relationships as they are understanding more and what have you, right? This whole process. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. So I appreciate you sharing that. And so you titled your book, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet. Why was that so important to you and important to your family after moving to Manhattan? What is the purpose behind that title? Well, you know, like like a lot of things in my life, um, I uh, offered that phrase to my kids because I thought it would help them in the transition. And it ended up, it, I think it did help them. It mostly ended up helping me. So um, we were just newly moved. We moved in the middle of the school year. So the kids started new schools in like December. And it, things are really different here. Every every part of your lifestyle and rhythm of life is different. They had been at schools in the suburbs, really little schools where they took a bus. All of a sudden, they're at these massive city schools, and they're walking. And one of them had been taking French, and then at this school, they only do Spanish. And one had been doing guitar, and at his new school, it was piano. And there was just this sense of they were starting to get frustrated with themselves. They were starting, at first it was like, wow, that's hard or that's weird. But then I noticed they started saying like, am I getting it wrong? Am I doing it wrong? Mm. Have I failed? Am I falling behind? Am I dumb? And when I realized they weren't asking questions about what's happening out there, they were asking questions about like themselves and their value and their identity. I was like, okay, hold the phone. We need to talk about this. And so I wrote that phrase, I guess I haven't learned that yet. And I put it on like printer paper and stuck it on our wall. And I said, all four of us are going to say this phrase every single day because you're supposed to learn new things when you move. 
You're not supposed to already know. You're not supposed to already be an expert. You shouldn't have already nailed this or figured it out. So I was trying to normalize that beginning again thing in their lives. And I think maybe it helped a little bit. It really helped me. It helped me feel the freedom to ask for help, to get it wrong, to try again, not just in the context of being new in town, but to approach my writing life with a new sense of curiosity and risk and willingness to make a mistake and try again, to ask questions about our marriage. What have we been doing well? What do I need to learn? What skill sets will bring us will bring us into the best new future? It's sort of that way of being curious and being a learner opened up so much health and freedom all over my my life, not just in the context of moving. Yeah, I I relate to that so much. Just this idea from a curiosity from a fixed mindset, and, and living in that fixed mindset can actually. When you're stuck on the, this is how I should be, or just the whole expecting to be a finished product already, expecting to have the answers to all things, instead of saying, what do I have to learn here? Allowing yourself to be a beginner. And as I think this really ties into as we're talking about an evolving faith. So I'm just going to be really honest in saying, I this is an area that I don't think we do the best when it comes to the church and our faith and Christianity. I was raised kind of in this, and it wasn't purposely, I think it's just culturally, like I was church culture, just raised in this mindset of like, we're supposed to have an answer for everything and we're supposed to know everything and fix things try to tie things up with a bow or slap a spiritual phrase on it. Um, And then when encountering mental health, walking with you realize things are not they're nuanced and dynamic and maybe our theology around health and suffering and um mental health and all these things aren't as black which is led to an evolving faith that is actually more whole i think in allowing us take the whole person into account and so all of that being said um, can you tell me a little bit about what your experience has been in shifting to a learning mindset? Like how has shifting from that fixed mindset to a learning mindset changed you and even maybe played a role in your faith and how you approach faith? You know, I would say one of the greatest gifts, I grew up in a similar environment, although, um, my mom, and I write about this in the book, um, my mom went through a very significant crisis of faith when she was in her early 40s. I was in high school. She was the pastor's wife of a very large, very visible church. And um, she went all the way through it. She stopped attending services at our church. She um, traveled to different um parts of the world and parts of the country. She read voraciously. She met with different people from different traditions within and without the Christian faith. Um, And she embraced, especially she's Irish, and embraced kind of Celtic mystic um, traditions and a sort of a contemplative practice. And for me to get to watch her go through that when I was in high school was so helpful for me because it normalized that reality. Um, I had one parent, my dad, who had a relatively stable and steady faith experience. Mm -hmm. 
And then I had another parent, my mom, who went through a massive transformation in, and upheaval in order to find a way of being a person of faith that worked well for the person that she was. And I think that was really healthy for me. And um, my mom had the full support of our church and the elders of our church, which I think is pretty rare. And so what yeah. I learned through that process just by watching was like, this is normal and it should happen. And we should give people the tools and the freedom and the space. And so then when I hit various different points in my life um, where my faith needed to shift, it didn't feel mm -hmm. catastrophic to me. It didn't feel like, um, it felt like something that could bend without breaking. But I do recognize That's when I cool. talk to people, like like a lot of people have a mentality like the one you were, you were mentioning where we have a sense of like elasticity or curiosity in other parts of our life, but not in our faith. And I think that's interesting. Um, I think you would never say to someone, like let's say someone's been married for 20 years, you would never say, hey, I noticed that your beliefs and practices in your marriage have changed over the last 10 years and that's a failure. You'd say, thank right. God they have, right? Thank God you learned new skills. Thank God you've been reading books and trying new things. And we encourage a, a growth mindset in so many other areas, but we want our faith to be extremely static. And I think that's a failing on our part. I think it's a, and, and a, at a certain point, I think it's a lack of trust. I think we can trust God's spirit within us that it, he can navigate those shifts and moves in extremely healthy ways. It, it, you know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be static. It doesn't have to be the same forever. We can trust that spirit within us to lead us to new places. I love what you said about it can bend and not break. You know, there's this idea that the moment that we question the way that we've been thinking about our faith or the way that we've been thinking things, for example, about faith and mental health, the way we maybe have seen anxiety, depression from a faith perspective, whatever it is, and um, that we can evolve in how we see things in our faith without breaking our faith, without breaking our relationship with God, you know? Um, and I truly believe that God is big enough to carry us through those seasons. You know, the Psalm says that God made our hearts so he understands what we do and i think about jesus was doubting and had questions jesus didn't shame him he didn't condemn him he said look at my hands put your put your fingers in the holes like i have no problem um giving you the opportunity to rediscover your faith and i truly believe that is the character and the all-encompassing loving nature of god so it's really encouraging to hear you say that and i guess like it, along the lines of learning what to keep and what to leave behind when it comes to our faith, what have been some of those things for you and, and what helped you decide like what to keep and what to leave behind as your matured, I would even say, over the years? You know, I think um, there's a, a, a section of scripture that says, um, taste and see. Like, like you, you can test the system. You can... Uh, God has planted within us the discernment and the wisdom to trust our experience, right? There's a vein of faith that seems very like um, 
you can't trust yourself. You can't trust your own mind. You only have to trust things outside of yourself. I think that's very damaging. I think we were created by a good God and his wisdom and his spirit and his discernment is inside of us. And so I think one of the ways that we can um, discern what's healthy for us is, does it provide fruit in our lives? Um, if, if there are beliefs or practices or church communities that yield goodness and health and wholeness in our lives, then there are good faith practices and good communities. If they provide um, anxiety, pain, doubting ourselves, um, that's not good fruit. And so we can t- kind of taste and see where the good fruit is in our lives. And then I think also it's an opportunity to ask the people in our lives what they say, what they see in us. Um, does it seem to you that I'm thriving in this way? Do you see health and wholeness coming from this way of living? Or are there times in my life when you've seen me more whole and more free? What do I need to keep and what do I need to walk away from? I think we can trust ourselves and our feelings and our experiences. And I think we can trust the people around us who have proven, proven themselves to reflect back to us what they're seeing. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing, but I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I love that. I love that you talk about really this yes 
experience where it's like, yes, we can, you know, follow the word of God and still use wisdom and discernment given to us by God as we navigate our experiences. Um, because I have seen the black or white side, what you're talking about, where it's like, no, you can't trust yourself. Your heart is deceitful, you know, all of these things. And it disconnects you from yourself. And those practices disconnect you from the God-given wisdom and discernment and intuition um, to be able to navigate his, really, I think, his path for you. And even it can be dangerous because it can um, it can disconnect you from things that are going on around you that are wrong, you know? It can disconnect you from that because you have been conditioned to not trust yourself. You have been conditioned to not trust your gut, so to speak. But you know what I mean? That that intuitive wisdom, again, and discernment, which we know is a holy thing, um, it completely disconnects you. And so I also have been in a space where I've learned the practice of both, you know, leading leading a life by scripture but also being connected to my body being connected to my my intuition being connected to my convictions and asking questions when things come up that aren't sitting right I think that's (laughs) so important and And I think you know also as, as we trust God's spirit and his discernment in our lives he'll never lead us outside of this the bounds of scripture right like it's not like well I was listening to my intuition so I committed a murder you know um we can trust that our intuition is in line with the way of living that God lays out for us in the Bible. It's not one or the other. They work together. Um, but we don't have to blindly ignore our bodies, our feelings, our experiences, our intuitions, and only look at the text. The two work together in a healthy way. And for me, um, all the way one or all of the all the way the other feels uh, wrong. But to to live those to kind of integrate all of those things, um, our, our body and our intuition and our feelings and what we understand of scripture feels like a really um, healthy and healing way to approach our faith. Yeah, we talk about being mentally, emotionally, and spiritually whole, about how sometimes we do focus so much on the spiritual, which is important. That's kind of the purpose of spiritual growth and what have you. But then God created us mind and body too, right? So it's taking the whole person into account. So you are speaking our love language here, here on the podcast. And, you know, on that note, there's a lot of conversation about deconstruction today. Some people see it as just like, this blasphemous word, you know, and then there are other people, I always say they're kind of like, I'm seeing, maybe you can confirm this or not, like three areas of it, where there are those who are just like, stay away from deconstruction entirely, like do not question anything about your faith, do not question anything about the theology that's been handed to you or what have you. Then there are those in the middle, which are like, I am still a believer. I still am walking in faith. However, there are some damaging and toxic things that I have been taught um, in the faith that I'm rethinking and I'm revisiting what scripture has to say about this and I'm reconstructing a healthy and sustainable and whole faith, mind, body, soul. And then there are those who kind of deconstruct out of the faith where they no longer ascribe to Christian practices or values. A lot of the times what I guess the majority of my listeners here and those who we're probably talking about are those who are still in faith. (laughs) Um, They still believe in Jesus. They still believe in God, but they are deconstructing some cult. I would even say, I would even say it's not biblical. They're 
church culture things. There are man-made cultural things that are in the church that aren't healthy, that we've integrated with faith, um, that we're dealing with. And so um, you have an essay where you talk about, it's how to stay, where you talk about a conversation with a friend during her process of deconstruction. And I'm wondering what advice would you give to both people in the middle of that process and those who are walking who is in it. So I have several thoughts about it. Number one, when you when you talk about kind of those three camps, the deconstruction is bad, um, I'm in the middle of it and I'm asking questions and I'm deconstructing myself right out, right out the door. In my experience, it's the people yeah. who don't feel the freedom for whatever reason to live in that middle space that end up out the door, right? Most people I yeah, know right. who yeah, you're right. feel the actual space to actually grapple well and thoroughly with the problems and questions and challenges of being a person of faith um, are able to to kind of walk themselves through the darkness and the valley onto the next place. It's the people who are so afraid of asking those questions that end up out the door. Or who've grown up in environments where, say, asking those questions are, is wrong. Because they go, oh, if I can't ask questions, then I can't stay. I think there's something very devout and faithful and beautiful about wrestling with your faith. And I think we should, in every possible way, normalize it. Um, In many ways, I'm I'm very pro-deconstruction. I'm not, except that I think we only use that word. Like, let's also talk about reconstruction, right? That's that's the next step in the process. Um, We dismantle. We sort it right. all out. We trust God's goodness through the process. And then we rebuild a new shelter in which to live for the next season. I also don't think it's a one and done kind of process. I hope that we're deconstructing and reconstructing all our lives. I hope that that's a way of being faithful. And so the first thing I would say is let's take away the fear and the stigma about it. It's an act of respect. It's an act of faithfulness to care enough about your faith experience to take a close look at it. There's a devotion to that. If you didn't care about it, you'd just walk away. That's the easy thing to do. If you're willing to grapple with it, if you're willing to cry over it, if you're willing to take apart all the pieces, that's an act of love. It's an act of faithfulness. And I think we should cheer on the people who are brave enough to do that. I think it's a good process, not a bad one. And then I think um, we should not leave people alone in that process. And we should give them, I would say, appropriate freedom, but let them know we're real close. Like I would think of like like teaching a, a child to swim. There's a point where if you hold them all the time, they'll never swim. But there's also a point where they need to know you're right there. And that's how I think, like when I think about that conversation I wrote about with my friend, I don't need to hold her. I trust her. I trust God's spirit in her life. I trust her own discernment and her wisdom. But I also don't want to make her feel like what she's doing is wrong. And so I'm far away from her. I will stay just as close as she needs. I, I trust her to do this process, but I don't want her to feel punished by my absence. And one thing I would say that's really important is to understand that the process of deconstruction sometimes has what might feel hard for another person will not feel like some people will say like during this process of deconstruction, what I can't do is go to church. I can't. 
okay, can we meet for coffee on Saturday mornings? Because I used to love seeing you on Sundays. And if I'm not going to see you on Sunday, I don't want to miss out on the relational connection that we get. Can we meet on Saturdays? So you're not saying like, unless you show up at church, you're never going to see me. You're saying, I'll go to where you are and I'll meet you in places that feel safe to you. Um, I have a friend who's in the middle of this process and for for this person, it's manifesting largely as a real curiosity about other religious traditions. Like, how do we know this is the one? Mm-hmm. And, and I've said, hey, if, if you want to go to another place of worship ever, like, I'd love to go with you. I got, you don't have to do that alone. If you want to, you know, sit in the back of a mosque or a synagogue or whatever, like, let's do that together. Um, you don't have to go through this process alone just because it's not the same process I'm in right now. So I think that's a real gift that we give to each other is just being willing mm-hmm. to walk alongside given their uh, perspectives and pain points along the way. Yeah, so good. And I just keep coming back to the thought that like we're talking about full grown functioning adults who have their own minds and their own lives. So even just the thought of trying to control and, you know, trying to control someone else's thoughts and trying to, first of all, that's too exhausting to me but like secondly it's just like this is a fully formed adult who has their own autonomy and their own mind and their own thought process and and like we said earlier God is faithful through that and if if they don't feel like they can be safe with you um people remember that and they will go somewhere else to follow their questions because people are going to follow their questions and I found and I find that it's leaning into questions more and searching scriptures more myself about these questions. Like in my case, like what does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about anxiety? Um, what does the Bible say about emotions when we're told that, you know, the devil uses your emotions and to shut them down all the time? Like when God says, oh no, it's it's okay to be angry, but don't sit on it. So an emotion is a normal, it's a normal human response given the context of the situation, right? Like things like that, it's actually, that actually, um, that actually matured my faith. It actually made it more whole, made it deeper. It brought me closer to scripture, closer to God. And it made it where I was able to create a space where I could talk about nuance. When people had those questions, I had nuance to be able to talk about it because I did that deep dive myself. So if anything, I think it it leads to a more sustainable faith. It leads to a more whole faith. It leads to a more holistic and uh, mature faith. It's patient. It's kind. <laughs> you know, um, it bears all things. So... Yeah, but that was the main thing I, I thought of. It was it's just like people will remember who was their safe space in those moments of transition, you know, because I have a friend who is going through a situation with another friend where they're kind of in this, you know, toxic space and they're not really seeing it right now. And they're like, what do I tell them? And I'm like, hey, all you can do is, like you said, be that person who is just alongside them, who is there, who is within reach. You can't change their mind right now. You it is not your job to change their theology. Like that is not your responsibility. Um, I fully believe that they're going to grow through this and look back and realize that wasn't a great space that they were in. And they're going to remember you. They're going to remember that you were there. They're going to remember that you gave them the space to process and the safety to do that. So I love that to just keep that in mind for those who maybe, I don't know, are fearing something like deconstruction and 
and trying to control people's processes. Like that's not something that's in our control. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and I'm sure you found this in your work and in your conversations, there are aspects of deconstruction that are about, like, I would say, like, fundamental questions of faith. Uh, is God real? Is he good? Is he trustworthy? Is scripture trustworthy? But a lot of deconstruction is sparked by uh, bad pastors or poor theology or toxic messaging in church or um, the alignment of church and politics in a way that's unhealthy or uh, a way of seeing a certain people group, right? Like very rarely are we talking about actual doctrine or theology. We're talking about relationships and pain and stories, and it's a very human, messy process. It's not something you sort out in your brain in a silent library. It's something that comes from all the different places in our lives, and so it should be addressed in all the different places in our lives. And so I think to make space for the messiness of it and to talk about it and, you know, uh, there were points in my life where I wasn't arguing about whether or not the Bible was true, but I wanted to know if a person like me, if there was room Mm -hmm. for a person like me in a particular faith tradition. Everybody else seemed a little more together, a little more organized, a little more type A, and I was like, kind of messy around the edges and artsy and didn't totally fit in. And I had a lot of big feelings. And so it wasn't about doctrine. It was about, is there room for a person like me in this tradition? So I think we call it deconstruction. A lot of times it's just asking that question. Is there room for someone like me in this community or in this tradition? And so if the problem that caused it is relational, the way to knit it back together is also relational. Yeah. Kind of the final question I was going to, or encouragement, I guess we could leave on is, you know, say there is someone who sometimes deconstruction can cause like this cognitive dissonance. There's a fear of letting go of what you've always been told or the community you've always been in or what you've always believed about something um, to embracing something new. Um, You know, even if it is healthier, even if it is, um, even more biblically aligned, you know, there, it can be that dissonance of what am I really letting go of? And am I letting go of the right thing? And, and all of that. Um, and, and like I said, there can be sometimes a loss of community where it's like, I no longer jive with my community because now I'm thinking about things differently. And some of that can create its own little existential anxieties and what have you. And so I guess on that note, just is there any encouragement or words of wisdom or words of experience that you would like to give for someone who is finding themselves in this cognitive dissonance, in this space where they are sorting out the things that, the perspectives that they are letting go of and the perspectives that they're adapting, the deconstruction and reconstruction, um, that can just maybe give them some clarity and peace um, and affirmation as they're as they're navigating these kind of unknown I would um, I would say three things um the first thing is and I referenced this right at the beginning um read like crazy um this phenomenon has been happening throughout the centuries Christians have been wrestling with and for and around and under and through their faith experience for thousands of years. You're not alone in this process. So read everything. Read Tolstoy's Confessions. Read Herman Hesse. Read Sarah Bessie. Read uh, Anne Lamott. Read Seth Haynes. Read everybody. Um, Read the stories of faithful Christians 
who have done this same wrestling and you'll realize you're in such good company and you'll find familiar voices and phrases that you might not know in person, but the voices that those authors, the words that they're speaking can kind of usher you through what could otherwise be a very lonely process. The second thing is I would say, um, build in a practice of spending time alone and listening to your own feelings and intuition and body. Pay attention to what you're feeling along the way of this process. Um, it's important to learn from other people and it's important to do kind of the cerebral reorganizing. It's also very important to sit in silence and pay attention to what's happening inside of you. And then the third thing I would say is track down anybody um, who is speaking a language of faith that feels remotely similar to where you're trying to go. Um, uh, when my husband went through a process like this, a lot of the people that we were in local friendship with were kind of on a different page, and he ended up building some very strong, very important, significant friendships with people all over the country and all over the world who were going through the same thing at the same time, and those became sort of like lifelines for him. So even if the people in his day-to-day -day weren't tracking with the same thing, a couple people around the country made him feel a little less alone and a little less sort of churned up about it. And I think that's very valuable. So I would say read like crazy, yeah. create silence to listen to yourself, and then reach out to anybody you can see um, who might be on the same path. I love that so much, especially the um, the not navigating it alone part. I found that in this, I've seen this on Twitter a lot, the term spiritual orphans. There are a lot of people um, I know for sure, like in my generation who feel like spiritual orphans because they're just seeing all the things that you talked about that are intersecting in a non-nuanced way with, with politics and with social issues and with all these things. And it's kind of creating this, um, where it's like, oh, if you're a real Christian, you would vote this way or you would believe this way or you would see things this way. And it's just more nuanced than that. I think Christ was more nuanced than that. And so, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation because if there's one thing I've continuously tried to establish here and on social media, it's that this is a safe place no matter where you are in your journey. I believe that God is big enough. God's love is great enough to to carry you through that journey. Um I think sometimes the fear is like, where am I going to end up? Or what's the other side of this I'm going to end up on? But but trust God. And when the word is stored in your heart, as you move through these experiences, I, be I truly believe like you're going to be able to pick up, okay, that doesn't really align. That doesn't align with scripture. That's way left field or that, you know, from, from my faith and what have you. Um, so the word is stored in your heart. Get with your safe people. Know that God's love is big enough to carry you through this. And, um, and that you're safe here, if nowhere else. Um, I'm so glad we're having these conversations. So thank you so much. Thank you for sharing and thank you for your time. And for those who wanna stay connected to the work you're doing and, and obviously want to grab your latest book, I guess I haven't learned that yet. And that is discovering new ways of living when the old ways stop working. How can they stay connected with you? Where can they grab the book? We'll have all the links in the show notes below. Right. You can find me on Instagram. That's where I am most often in terms of the internet. And you can get the book anywhere. Big stores, little stores, independent stores. Um, it'll be out on April 12th everywhere. So thank you so much for having me. This was a lovely conversation and I love what you've created yeah. in this space. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. You guys check out the book. Thanks for tuning in. 
Let us know your thoughts, you know, in the comments or leave a review if this episode spoke to you in any way. And we appreciate you spending your time here with us today. Until next time.